to our sermon text. If you have your Bibles with you, let me invite you to turn with me to Galatians chapter 2. And as we get prepared to see our text in Galatians chapter 2, Brother Chris is going to come and read uh, the entire text for us this morning. Verse 17, but if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, as Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For I rebuild what I tore down, I proved myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Thank you, brother. This morning, as we get ready to consider this text together, if y'all would join me in this pray and ask the Lord's blessing during this time. Father God, we do thank you. We thank you for Lord, the truth of the things that we have sung this morning, the reminder that, that all of our hope and righteousness is, is wrapped up in Jesus. Father, as we saw in your word last week and as we sang today, and Lord, as we think about the fact that, that you are worth more than anything else and that you should be the greatest desire of our hearts. Father, I pray this morning that that the reminders that we'll see in your word today would help our hearts to, Father, to overflow with that sort, of, that sort of feeling, that desire. And so, Father, I pray that this morning that we would not be distracted by anything inside or outside of this room, Father, that we would not be concerned about things of yesterday or tomorrow, but, Lord, for this short time, that our hearts and minds would be focused on the truth of your word, that we would hear it, that we would understand it, Father, and then the Spirit, you would help us to love it and to apply it in a way that's fitting and proper. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, this morning we're picking up where we left off last Sunday. So last Sunday we looked in Galatians 2 at verses 15 and 16. And we really saw the, the glorious truth of imputed righteousness. That idea that through faith in Jesus Christ... We have been made justified, as the, the word that Paul used three times in verse 16. What does that mean? It means that we have been made sinless and perfect in God's eyes. Not because we've never sinned, not because we have never done anything wrong. No, because Jesus lived a perfect life where he never did anything wrong. And by God's grace, when we have faith in Jesus, God takes that perfection of Jesus... And he transfers it onto us and onto our account, which is so, so good. Amen. What a wonderful thing to be reminded of. And so we saw that last week, that that, that only comes through faith. You can't earn it. Legalism never gets you there. You can't do enough good to get rid of your bad, right? Last week we saw that in the making of soup. You can't add enough good ingredients to get cockroach out of your soup. And if you weren't with us, that's just, that's a personal thing that we, that's an inside joke. Um, but the truth is still there. If you have sinned, and we have all sinned, then you will never, ever 
ever do enough good to make your sin go away. Now, the only way that that can happen, the only way that your sins can be removed is through faith in Jesus Christ. And so this morning in verse 17, Paul's kind of continuing with this thread of, of ways and things, implications, if you will, of living a life of faith rather than a life based on the law or legalism or trying to earn God's favor. So I've, I've titled the sermon, for those of you that look in the bulletin today, the title is, Jesus is Better. And He is truly better than anything else. And He is truly better in absolutely every way. So look with me in verse 17. Paul says, But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ... We too were found to be sinners. Is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. Now, if you weren't with us Wednesday night, this might sound like a bit of a confusing statement. Uh, you might say, what is, who's he talking to? What is he talking about? And we have to remember our context, right? Paul here is talking to Jewish Christians. So these people were Jewish by background and by birth, but since then they have come to faith in Jesus Christ. Well, here's something that you have to understand, and we'll see this more throughout the sermon. But, but the truth is, for a Jewish person who had been following the law and trying to be justified by following the law, who had tried to find righteousness in their own actions, for them to stop that and to begin following Jesus would make them do some things that would have seemed quite uncomfortable to them. Some things that would have felt like they are sinning, which is, I believe, what he's talking about here when he says, if in our, right, Paul being Jewish in background as well, if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ or to follow Christ, we end up doing things that cause us to feel like sinners, is Christ a servant of sin? And so, so you have to think for them, they've been taught their whole life that Jews and Gentiles must be separate. That a Jew cannot enter the house of a Gentile person or they will be made unclean. That they cannot share a meal with a Gentile person or they will be made unclean. But now, in following Christ, they're being told, no, Gentile Christians are equals with Jewish Christians. Right? That we are one and the same. That we are all as completely justified and righteous as anyone else. That we have, because of Jesus, None of us that are Christians have any sin. And so they were being told to share their lives, to share their meals, to share their homes with Gentile people. And there were other things that would have been difficult for them as well in, in ways that they didn't follow pharisaical laws that had been made about what they could or couldn't do on the Sabbath and not following the sacrificial system of the Old Testament. So all of these things, this is what you have to understand in kind of summing up verse 17, all of these things that you would do if you follow Jesus would feel wrong to these Jewish people. They'd feel just not quite comfortable doing these things. So they're asking the question, if I have to do that to follow Jesus, and I feel like those things are sin, does that mean that Jesus is actually promoting sin? That's kind of the question here of verse 17. Is Jesus actually causing me to sin and and Paul's answer, the 
emphatic nature of it is, is hard to see in text as it's written, but that's certainly not what the exclamation point after. It could have three or four or five or ten exclamation points after. It could be bold, it could be underlined, it could be italicized. He's saying, absolutely not. Right? We know that Jesus is not a proponent of sin. He never has been. He never will be. Jesus doesn't cause anybody to sin. He doesn't want anybody to sin. So to ask the question, if following Jesus causes me to sin, does that mean that Jesus is actually in favor of sin? Paul's saying, no, what there is is a misunderstanding here because Jesus isn't going to cause anybody to sin. No, the, the misunderstanding, as we'll see in just a moment, has to do with their relationship with the law. Let me give you point one this morning, which is specific for the Jewish people, but applicable for us as well. Point one is following Jesus changes things. When you follow Jesus, things change. Now, it, this point could honestly say following Jesus changes everything, right? I mean, the nature of who we are, how we understand ourselves, where we find our identity, what's important to us, how we spend our money, how we spend our time, the way that we talk, what we listen to, what we watch. All of these things change when we go from being lost, sinful people of this world to being Christians that are following Jesus. Our hearts change and our lives change and our eternity changes. Praise God for that. But when these Jewish people chose to follow Jesus, when they recognized who he was, that he was truly the Messiah, that he was the Savior, that he was God who came from heaven to save us, and they pledged their allegiance to him, their relationship with the law was meant to change. We saw that in our text from Romans that Brother Shane read earlier. We'll see that more specifically as we go throughout the book of Galatians. I'm not going to try and get too deeply into it. But Paul also speaks to it here in our next couple of verses, verses 18 and 19. Look there with me. He says, For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live to God. Now again, I know... These verses, if this is the first time that you've ever heard these, might seem confusing. If I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. And you say, what in the world does that mean? Right, if it's Tuesday morning and, and you do your Bible study like this, and you just open and you point to a passage, and that's the verse you read, you may say, I have no idea what's going on here. And there's a different reason and purpose for that. But, but this morning, what I want you to see is that Paul is continuing to talk to these Jewish Christians about their relationship with the law. Their relationship with the law was meant to change, right? That, that it was meant to diminish as they came into a relationship with Christ. The role of the law wasn't ever to make people righteous. That's what they thought, that the law's job was to make them perfect in God's eyes. But Paul tells us over and over and over that that's not what the law does. Because we all break the law, so it can't make us perfect if we have broken it. No, but it does help us to see our need for a fixed and right relationship with God. It helps us to see that we aren't perfect. It helps us to see that Jesus is. But even though they become Christians, they still feel like 
following the Mosaic law and following all of the additions to it that the Pharisees had made through the years, that through following that, that they were making themselves more acceptable to God, that they were making themselves better people. But here's what I want you to think about for a moment this morning. Can you get better than perfect? No, right? Uh, Wednesday night I gave the example of, uh, of we, when we were kids we did this. Kids that do this, I'm sorry to burst your bubble here. But you know, sometimes somebody says, well, I like that infinity times. And then somebody else says, well, I like it infinity plus one. You've said that before. That's not how it works, right? Infinity continues to go forever, so you can't say that plus one. That's not Infinity literally means it never ends. And the righteousness of Christ is kind of like infinity. It's so far-reaching, and it's so perfect that it just continues to go on and on forever, and there's nothing that you or I or anyone can ever do to add to that righteousness. So these Jews are thinking, hey, because I have Jesus' righteousness and my works of the law, I'm better than them. And Paul says, what you're doing is rebuilding what was supposed to be torn down. This relationship between you and Gentiles, this wall that divided us, has been torn down because of our faith in Jesus Christ. In verse 19, I think he really hits on what that means. He says, through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. Now, that doesn't make a lot of sense to us because our relationship with the law isn't the same as these Jewish people's relationship with the law. But you have to kind of try to put yourself in their mindset for a little bit. If they were good Jews, then that means that when they were growing up, they would have memorized word for word the first five books of the Bible, the Torah. They would know it by heart. They would know every single one of the Mosaic laws. And not only would they know them, they would do everything in their power not to break them, to try and keep them. The law of the Old Testament had been what they learned at home, and it had been what they had learned at school, and it's what they would have talked about when they were with their friends. It was everything to them. Their education was built around it, and their reputation was built around how well they kept it, and their, their parents' pride was and how committed their kids were to the law. Being a good Jew meant somebody who kept the law. It was everything that they thought about all the time. It held the most important place in their hearts and in their minds for many of these Jewish people. So for them to hear that they should die to the law, that they should not be concerned about trying to follow the law anymore, but should be following Christ... Now, it's not that those two are mutually exclusive. I want to make sure that we're aware of that. Sometimes it sounds like these two, like you can't follow the law and follow Jesus. You say, well, Jesus followed the law. Yes, absolutely. So in following Jesus, we are following the law. We're not doing away with the Old Testament. That's not what I'm talking about. That'd be like saying, as I would say to you, that your commitment to Jesus should be above your commitment to your spouse. You agree with that? Your commitment to Jesus should be above your commitment to your kids and to your job. And it should be above your commitment to your country, right? All of these things are true. But that doesn't mean that you're not committed to your spouse. It doesn't mean that you're not committed to your jobs and your kids and your country, right? It just means that the thing that's most important is Jesus. And these Jews 
were still leaning back towards the law more than they were leaning towards Jesus. And so the way that Paul describes it, he says, when it comes to comparing how much I follow the law and how much I follow Jesus, it's like I've died to the law so that I can live to God. Point two this morning is this. I hope this helps clear this up for some of us. There can only be one first priority. Brothers and sisters, in your life, this is true. You cannot have two things that have the chief place. You cannot have two things that you follow as much as anything or more than anything else. One of them will win. The teaching of Scripture is that no man can have two masters. This is the teaching that we see here. These Jewish people wanted to follow Jesus. They wanted to pledge total allegiance to Him while also being totally in allegiance to the law. And he's saying that cannot happen. You cannot base your righteousness on Jesus' perfect life, atoning death, and resurrection, and base it on the law. You can't do that. Because Paul tells us that if righteousness were available through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. That's what verse 21 says. Brothers and sisters, that's not how it works. Nobody has ever been perfect in God's sight because of how well they did. The only way that you can be perfect in God's sight is through how well Jesus did. Having faith in Him. And I believe here that, that Paul is trying to tell these Jewish people that not only is Jesus better than the law to be made righteous, but Jesus is better than the law in teaching you how to live your life. And giving you an example of how to interact with other people. And what you should do. And what God would have you to do. And how to live a, a God-honoring life. The most perfect example that we have is not the law. It is Jesus. So we're totally and completely committed to Him. And we follow Him in everything that we do. Jesus is better than the law in every aspect. In every way. And He's also better than everything else. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. Let's look at this last verse, the only verse we haven't mentioned in the sermon yet, verse 20. Probably the most well-known verse out of these first couple of chapters of Galatians. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me, and gave himself for me. You see here, Paul gives himself as an example of what it looks like to make Jesus the first priority in your life. To make Jesus the most important thing in your life. To make him chief above everything else. He says, I've been crucified with Christ. Right? I have, I have put my lot with Jesus. He died on the cross, and I have died to myself with him. It's no longer Paul who lives, but Christ lives in Paul. He's saying, I don't do what I want to do. I'm not the person that I used to be. No, everything about me is wrapped up in who Jesus is. The things that I want are the things that Jesus wants. The things that I do are the things that Jesus did. The way that I talk is the way that Jesus talked. I'm following him in every aspect of my life. It's as if Paul is dead and Jesus is alive in me. This is what he's saying in this verse. 
And, and even just before this, I don't think we catch the gravity of this whenever Paul tells us that he died to the law and that he died to himself so that Christ could live in him. It doesn't carry the weight that I know it did whenever these Jewish people heard it for the first time because, because Paul was, when he was Saul, before he became a Christian, he was a very accomplished individual. Graduated top of his class kind of thing. Everybody looked up to him. He was well respected. He was a leader. He was in the eyes of everybody around him one of the most acceptable people to God who was more righteous than anyone else. I can't imagine how proud Saul's parents were of him. I can't tell you how high the level of education that he had reached would be. Today we would probably call him Dr. Saul if he were around. His sense of nationalism, of, of being a Jew of the Jews, was as high as anybody's. He was so well respected. And it was all based on how well he kept and understood and taught the law. Everything was based around this. So Paul had a lot going for him in life. Everybody around him would have likely traded places with him immediately. And so for us, you have to think when he's using these kind of terms of dying to himself and, and dying to the law, it, it would be like you giving up all of the degrees that you've ever earned, giving up every accomplishment that you've ever had, everything that you've done that felt like a big deal, just letting it go, giving up your friends, because there's no doubt when Saul left the Jewish lifestyle and became a Christian, all the people that he hung out with before wanted nothing to do with him. They had no desire to follow him in that sense. Your sense of being a, a good American, a good neighbor, a good citizen... Gone. Because when a Jewish Israelite left that faith, they were a disgrace to their country and to their family. Can you imagine that? Making a decision that would make you a disgrace to your family. Not only would Paul or Saul have been made fun of at all the high school reunions, he wouldn't have been invited to the high school reunions. And he'd mourn him around. It had nothing to do with him. So imagine giving up every bit of that in order to follow Jesus. Would you do it? There are brothers and sisters all around the world that are having to make this decision every single day. Am I going to give up every single thing about me? Everything I've accomplished, everything I've done. Will I give up every bit of it in order to follow Jesus? But that's what Paul had done. And he's putting that into words for us here. And he says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. And then he starts to show us why. Why would you give up all of that? Because he's living by faith in the Son of God, who loved him enough to give his life for him. You see, when, when Saul was walking down that road... and the light of God shined in his life, literally... The light of God shined in his life so bright that he couldn't see anything else. 
And that just stuck with him forever. He saw the beauty of God, of God's love, of God's acceptance, of God's forgiveness. And it was so compelling and it was so captivating that, that Paul never got over it. He never got over it. He was so enamored that God would love him and God would know him and God would call him and that God would forgive him and accept him that he said, I don't care who else rejects me. I don't care what I have to give up in order to obtain this relationship with this God. I'm willing to do it. And so he said, it's as if everything about me died. And it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Why would Paul be willing to do that? Why would you here today be willing to do that? Point three, because Jesus is better. Because Jesus is better. He's better than whatever you want to fill in that blank with. Whatever comes after that is fitting. He's better than your own heart's desires. He's better than the things that this world offers us and tells us that we should want to pursue. Knowing Him and being saved by Him and receiving the righteousness that only He has ever earned. Being redeemed and loved. And held by Him, being part of His family, having a reconciled relationship with God, having the promise of eternal life is worth more and is better than anything else that you could ever imagine. That was Paul's testimony. And that's my testimony. I'm still working on making sure that I'm dying to myself every day. It's an ongoing process of sanctification. But I ask you this morning, is that your testimony, brothers and sisters. I don't want you to, to say, yeah, I made a decision. I want you to truly stop and think. Think about your life right now and answer this question. What is the number one priority in your life? Is it Jesus? What is the, the, the controlling factor that guides the decisions that you make? Is it your reputation among other people? Is it some worldly thing that you're pursuing, whether that's financial freedom or power or influence or more friends or more followers? Uh, what is it on Monday morning and Thursday afternoon? What is the one thing that controls and guides all of your decisions more than anything else? Because if you ask Paul, he would say it was Jesus. He would say it's following the Christ. And when we sit here on Sunday mornings, we all want to say that same thing. But I want you to stop and think, is that true of you? Because here, in this text, there was a lot about the law and a lot about the Jews. Brothers and sisters, if we boil it down to an, an applicable truth, I think we find this. Paul took the one thing that was most important to those Jewish people, the law. And he said, you've got to let that go in order to follow Jesus. And here's what I'm trying to do this morning. If you've been asleep, wake up. If the person next to you is asleep, wake them up. This is what I want you to leave here with. Can you honestly sing the song that the praise team sang just a little bit ago? You can have all this world. Just give me Jesus. What is the, the one thing outside of Jesus that's most important to you? Your job, your family, your education your bank account, your retirement, your hobby, 
What is most important to you? And let me ask you this question. Will you give that up for Jesus? If the thing that you require most of your time and attention going to is in opposition to who He calls you to be and how He calls you to live, would you be willing to give it up? Is He more important to you than that thing? Because I think this text this morning challenges us to have that mindset. This morning I'm going to invite you to stand and we're going to have a time of response. And maybe your way of responding is through prayer because you need to talk to the Lord. You need to repent for not making Him the most important thing in your life. I think we could all be there. Certainly there are times and seasons when we have not done that well at all. And maybe that's been you recently. You need to reorient yourself to Christ. Ask Him to help you to do that this morning. Maybe you don't even know what that kind of prayer would sound like and you would love for somebody to pray with you. Then come down here and I will pray with you. I would love the opportunity to pray with you this morning. Maybe you have something else that you need to do. Something else you need to pray about or think about. Something else the Lord's challenged you with this text this morning. Maybe you just want to sing. We're going to sing a song that again shows our priority of Jesus above everything else. So maybe you just want to sing as your heart overflows with this love for Christ. But I want you to do whatever the Lord's calling you to do. Respond appropriately as Brother Shane leads us in a time of response. There is a name I love to hear I love to sing His word It sounds like music in my ear The sweetest name on earth Oh, how I love Jesus Oh, how I love Jesus Oh, how I love Jesus Because He first loved me it tells me of a Savior's love who died to set me free. It tells me of His precious blood, the sinner's perfect plea. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus because He first loved me. Thank you. You may be seated this morning. Um, I have a couple of announcements. Let me say, first of all, thank you for your attentiveness. Thank you for being here and worshiping with us. And I pray this morning, again, that we're just reminded of how great Jesus really is and how much better than everything else that we've based our lives around and that it would just call our hearts to love him and to follow him more. A couple of announcements. Um, we will have children's choir practice this afternoon at 530. Uh, that'll be here in the sanctuary. So children, uh, even if you haven't come for that as they're preparing for a Christmas musical, there's still time come tonight, even if it's your first uh, Sunday evening to come to that. Uh, we are having Wednesday night meal this week, so if you plan to come to that, please sign up uh, in the back on either side. We also, uh, next month on November 11th, we're having a, a progressive supper for our senior adults. Uh, so again, I told you last week we don't have a, a set age for that. 
Um, but if you consider yourself, or if your kids consider you a senior adult, I don't know, maybe that's appropriate, uh, sign up and plan to come to that. If you need a ride to and from, we will pick you up, we will make sure that you're taken care of, but if you would like to be part of that on that Sunday afternoon, evening, we want you to be, Saturday, uh, we want you to be part of that. So sign up if you're interested, and we'll make sure that you get to be part of that. Um, Next Sunday morning, we'll have both Brotherhood Breakfast at 7.30 and a deacon's meeting at 8.30. So all men are invited to come to Brotherhood Breakfast, all men of all ages. And deacons and Yokefella, please make note of the deacon's meeting for next Sunday morning. At the end of the service next week, we'll have a special call business meeting. Um, that is to uh, vote on a recommendation from our, from our nominating committee. If you weren't with us last week, I talked about that a little bit. The, the nominating committee... And, and helping us implement uh, the process and polity of having uh, the availability, at least, to be able to have men that are not staff pastors to serve as pastors. So these would be church members uh, that meet all of the requirements to serve as a pastor. We believe that this is the pattern that we see in the New Testament. As we're looking to move to that, we need a group that would help assess men that feel called to serve, that feel that they aspire to serve as a pastor. How will we know whether or not these men meet those requirements? So we, we as Baptists, often elect a committee to help us think through that process. And so our nominating committee has recommended a committee that would do that. That would be the Pastoral Assessment Committee. This, the nomination is that it would be made up of uh, Brother Gwen Young, Mr. Ann Watson, Brother Danny Sisko, Miss Mo Sellers, and Brother Nick Johnson. So five people, Brother Gwen, Miss Diane, Brother Danny, Miss Mo, and Brother Nick. Uh, and so we will vote on that at the end of the service next Sunday. If you have questions, you can call me. Come by the office sometime this week. We can talk about that Wednesday night uh, as well. Special call business meeting. And then the next Sunday, which I don't know what the date of that will be. Somebody know what? 29th, uh, we will have a, a regularly scheduled quarterly business meeting. So please make note of that. It'll be at the end of the morning's uh, service as well. Our cookbooks are here. These are bicentennial cookbooks. And you say, I didn't purchase any cookbooks. Well, if you were a church member, uh, I we want you to know that each family in the church gets one of those for free. And so they are in the office. You can come by uh, any day that the office is open and pick up your family's cookbook, we want you to have that to be able to share those recipes uh, and to think on, on those special memories. We also, this Wednesday, youth, we are going to Brandon to the Go Tail Crusade. Uh, church, I'd ask that you'd be praying for that this week. So this is uh, in, in the line of crusades. It would be similar to what those of you that remember the Billy Graham Crusades from years ago. Uh, something of that nature. This is for the metro area mainly. They, they've tried to do a lot of advertising. They're trying to invite people to come that, that may not know Christ. Uh, and so they're expecting thousands of people uh, every night beginning tonight and running through Wednesday night. And so be in prayer for that, that, that many lives would be impacted by the truth of the gospel they're doing things to invite groups that, that might not would normally go to a church, but that would go to the Brandon Amphitheater on a, on a Monday night or Tuesday night to come and be part of that. So pray that, that, would, that the Lord would just show great favor in that. There have already been hundreds 
uh, through the process of planning for it and preparing for it that have given their life to Christ. And so we celebrate that. Youth, we're going Wednesday night. Uh, the bus is going to leave here at 5 o'clock. So please be here just a few minutes before 5 o'clock. So we'll go. They'll have the meal there. Um, uh, special guest speakers, Will Rogers, Jonathan Mingo. Um, they're giving away a car. So the rest of you are saying, can I go? I think they are checking IDs to make sure that you're a youth for that, though. Uh, but youth, we want you to come and join us for that. Uh, all right. Any, I've got a couple of others, but before I get to that, any announcements that I've missed or forgot? Randall Lofton. That's right, right. Many of you worked very, very hard, and we do appreciate that very much. Thank you, church, for that. Um, all right, any others? All right, if not, Kayla, if you would come down, and Brody, if you would come down as well. Um, so this morning, y'all saw as we began, Brody came uh, through baptism. And, and one thing that we don't always make clear enough, and Brother Derek and I have talked about this recently, we want to make very clear that, that one thing that we do as church, there are multiple ways that you can join Mount Zion Baptist Church, but if you have never accepted Christ and followed in believers' baptism, that is the step that you take in order to come as a member of the church. And so Brody, through making a profession of faith and through coming in baptism this morning, uh, is coming also seeking membership at Mount Zion Baptist Church. So as he comes, I ask, what is the, the desire of the church? Do we have a motion that we receive him as a member? We have a motion. Do we have a second? Second. All in favor say we love you. And we love you. And we do. And we're excited and we're thankful to have you. Stay here. Kayla also comes this morning. Uh, many of you know Kayla and Dwayne. And Dwayne, you say, why is Kayla coming? Dwayne's not. Well, Dwayne is a member at Mount Zion already and he's been a member here. And, but Kayla is not. And as they have uh, become married and are neighbors and part of our community, she wanted to wanted to make sure and recognize formally that she is a part of this body uh, and that, that we know that she belongs to us and we are accountable for her and she's accountable for us. And so she comes today uh, seeking not through baptism but seeking by transfer of letter membership. So that would be transfer of letter from Centerpoint Church here in town in Brookhaven. So I ask the same, do we have a motion that we would receive her as a member? Motion. have a motion. Do we have a second? second? Second. All in favor, if you would say, we love you. All right, Dwayne, y'all come down, girls, y'all come, Brody's family, y'all come, Josh, Desiree, y'all come down and be with them. We're going to let them be down here uh, and let you come by and, and celebrate with them and let them know that you're excited and thankful that they are here. As I always say to members that are seeking to come as members, I trust, and I really do believe this, I trust that this family will be a healthier family because of this church and this family will be a healthier family because of this church. And I also trust that this church will be a healthier church because of this family and because of this family that are part of it. And so we celebrate today. This is a big deal, and we're thankful for it. So we're going to pray, and we're going to thank the Lord for all that He's done, for how great He is, and for these families coming, for these individuals coming to be part of our church family. And then you can come by and let them know how excited you are. But let's, let's pray together as we're dismissed this morning.